Hey, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another DMN one-on-one. And today, I'm very happy to have with me Vince Jeffs, who's Senior Director of Strategy and Product Marketing at Pega. Welcome. Thanks. Nice to be here. And I just wanted to kick off by, you know, talking for a moment about Pega, because it's... um, uh, new readers should know that it's uh, a long-time leader in business process management and has increasingly over the last few years focused on customer engagement, customer experience. And in fact, this week, Pega was named a customer engagement platform market leader in the Ovum decision matrix up there with uh, Salesforce, SAP and Oracle kind of snapping around the heels. So there must be some uh, affirmation there for you. Yeah, we're really uh, happy to have that, um, you know, that placement because we think it's a it's a validation of some of our some of our thinking and our vision and our strategy around holistic customer engagement. Right. Um, and I think Ovum's done a good job of recognizing the criteria for that, and uh, and therefore we placed well. Very good. And this being New York, there's a few sirens in the background, but we'll press on. Add some nice uh, (laughs) background noise to the podcast. Absolutely. So what I really wanted to talk to you about was, I didn't want to kick this off by making it sound like you are as old as the hills. I mean, I'm old enough myself, but you have been in the marketing tech space for a while. And what I wanted to talk about today is some of the changes you've seen. So maybe we'll start off by talking about your background, how you originally got into it. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, maybe uh, I'm from the golden age of uh, marketing and technology, uh, right. but that's all good, and it's it's been a fun ride. Yeah, I started, uh, I actually, it's funny because I have a uh, undergraduate degree from Georgetown University in marketing, of all things. Okay. You find very few uh, marketers that actually have a background uh, educationally in it, and then I did my graduate work at University of Maryland and studied database technology and operations research and statistics. So I kind of combined those two together in my career, a.k.a. marketing technology. Did you know back then that the things would converge so dramatically? Uh, No, I mean, I can't say I've got all that, uh, you know, perfect... crystal ball, but um, I did personally like the combination. I felt like that business uh, was going toward more analytics Mm -hmm. and using more data-driven decision making. And, uh, and I liked marketing. I liked the, also the, you know, the art and the creative and the um, social aspects of marketing. So I think combining those two together was, was good for me. I also uh, from that point, um, worked for a number of different companies along the way, including mm-hmm. Rap Collins, who's a big digital, yes. uh, you know, direct marketing agency under the Omnicom Group. I uh, worked for SaaS, mm-hmm. uh, the analytics company, for a number of years when they were sort of kicking off their customer insights uh, work and practice. Uh, and then I spent a good part of my career with Unica, right? Um, and they were taken by over by IBM in 2010. And in uh, a few years after that, I decided uh, to um, to move on to Pega, which has been a, a great place for me because we really are focused very much on uh, large enterprises and this a new area of customer engagement and real-time decision-making. Right. Now, of course, uh, in the traditional marketing sense, there was always the idea of customer engagement. You wanted to put out messages which would appeal to the kinds of people who might buy your product or use your service. So, in a sense, there's nothing new about that. How, when did you first realize technology was going to really impact the way that could be done on the scale in which it could be done? 
Um, you know, it's interesting because I saw the technology and the data impacting marketing in the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, back then, we called it database marketing. Um, and the people that were doing that direct marketing, database marketing, realized that technology was absolutely a strategic weapon. Um, you could get advantage because you could do things scientifically and, and get lift and follow the data and the money rather than your gut. Right. Um, which I think, you know, was the hallmark of marketing up to that point, sort of the madman, you know, approach, which, you know, in many cases they made the right calls, but in some cases they didn't know they were making, you know, bad investment decisions or mixed decisions. Um, so I think we realized, I realized, and the people that I was sort of in that, you know, business, I think you probably were too, realized that there was a lot of future in technology um, being able to make marketing more precise yeah. and, again, more data-driven. So it doesn't matter what your hypothesis is. You have to figure out whether it's right or wrong, and the data will tell you. The, the responses, you know, will generally tell you whether you're right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're, we're in a, a whole different world now, aren't we, because uh, it's, it's not just the data telling us whether our hunches are right or wrong. The data kind of, it tells the machine uh, the point where um, if you give artificial intelligence its head, the data will inform it, it'll teach itself what to do, and it almost seems like there's a promise that could run itself. Are, are we there yet? Uh, we're not there yet. Um, we're there yet with some percentage of marketing, I think, that uh, can uh, adapt and tune itself without human intervention. Um, but what I find is that most of that uh, has a half-life. Right. Uh, so those models, you can put them into play, and they will operate on their own within the confines of what the data and the attributes that they were told to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. uh, and those models basically um, uh, you know, wear out. And if there's not a human there to realize that that's happening and do something at some point, it might be months later, mm -hmm. um, then I think that those that AI becomes less effective over time. There's a kind of degradation built into the models, which isn't necessarily the case with humans, uh, in the sense that, um, you know, humans can refresh their understanding of what's going on, but the machine has to really do what it's been taught to do, doesn't it? It, it does, and I think, yeah, hey, you know, we're seeing advances every day, so in statistics we always call that feature engineering mm -hmm. where you had to figure out the really interesting uh, pieces of data you know like for instance somebody uh, you know was on your website so many times in the last week or month and that becomes an interesting piece of data that you know is correlated with you know purchase behavior for instance um, we are seeing more advances in machine learning being able to even surface you know, what are interesting features. Humans are still the ones that are making the judgments mm -hmm. uh, on, you know, whether to put those in or not. But I think over time we're going to see more and more of that where, you know, machines are surfacing interesting insights and feeding them to themselves. Right. <laughs> I guess one reason for this, um, and something which has, which has changed dramatically over the last five years or more, is the quantity of data. Because there's so much data there which... A lot of it's of no value, but there's so much valuable data that a human simply can't cast his or her eyes over it and spot what's going on. I mean, you need machines just because the quantity has grown. That's something you must have seen change a lot. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, back in the 90s, we called that data warehouses. And then, you know, they became big data and they became these Hadoop systems. And that was just because the technology had to adapt to be able to handle that increasing amount of data. Uh, and it had to be more flexible. The relational databases had some inherent inflexibility. It also had to become more cost effective to store all that data. Yeah. But then, like you said, um, you had to have more and more, more tools and more smarts to be able to sift through and find the signal in the noise, find the needle in the haystack. And I think that um, that, again, is an area where there's differentiation. There's competitive advantage for people that can effectively do that. Um, and it's not necessarily that straightforward right. because, especially in big enterprises, data is still fragmented. It's all over the place. It's hard for these enterprises to, you know, build this so-called single customer view. Right. And, uh, and so, therefore, you have to have really interesting sets of tools and, and experienced people that know how to, you know, get the right data into the into the hands of the ultimate decision makers. Sometimes those decision makers are machines. Yep. Sometimes those decision makers are humans. Sometimes they're working in combination together. Okay. Yep. I was talking um, a few weeks back to Nor Breyer of Percolate, who's a bit of a kind of amateur marketing historian, I guess. And, mm. and he picked out 2007 as a crucial year uh, when things really took off uh, in terms of technology and marketing. And he pointed to things like the Android and the iPhone, mm. streaming content from Netflix, Twitter coming into its own. There's a, I mean, those are key things, aren't they? Social, mobile, streaming. How important are, are they? Are we missing anything from the picture there? Uh, I do agree that somewhere in the mid-2000s there, 2005 to 2008, somewhere, so it's probably about right, there, there was all those sort of you know, interesting events, Facebook and Google coming of age or yeah. being invented, and, and, and uh, new channels emerging, and um, are we missing anything? Um, no, but I think we're now seeing another milestone, which is uh, the democratization of AI and machine learning, right. but the, more so than then, and also the, you know, the ability, so the democratization meaning the ability for that technology to be used by more and more. Um, it's, it's more of its open source, more of it's built into tools like ours where, you know, you have to be careful because if it's open source, sometimes that can still mean a lot of custom work to get, you know, ultimately outcomes that are valuable. So I think you've got choices there um, and you need to be smart about those. But that's the new, what I've seen in the last two or three years is this really upward curve of adoption of some pretty mature AI technologies now. The one thing I've noticed just in the time I've been writing about AI is the uh, the huge advances in its ability to deal with uh, visual data, unstructured yeah. data, images, and increasingly with video as well. Now, given that so much online marketing is moving in an image and video-driven direction, that's crucial, isn't it? It is crucial. That's a great point. And that technology wasn't as well evolved in 2007. Right. It's certainly more evolved now with the deep learning uh, advances that we've seen. Um, and with, again, those not being so arcane and, un, you know, reachable by the common person. Um, so uh, I, I think I agree that um, 
we're seeing more and more applications of that where image recognition is not just finding, you know, interesting, you know, uh, animals in pictures. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's, uh, it's also now, you know, helping with some really important use cases in, in business, like, you know, being able to find, you know, products in, in pictures or yeah. being able to identify a part you know, because somebody is struggling with figuring out what part this is. Uh, there's all sorts of things I can think of where, you know, now that image recognition actually has a commercial application as opposed to just, you know, fun and games. And the text, I think, what we're seeing more there is the ability to tap into some of these sources like email, mm -hmm. like log files, like, you know, chat uh, streams, uh, like customer service call records that um, ultimately have some interesting insights in them and can help again with just things like routing, getting, right. getting yeah. things to the right people quicker or getting things to the right system again. That's the, you know, back to the machine, but it's not necessarily the machine knows you know, what uh, it should be acting on. So if you feed it some, you can structure that data mm -hmm. somewhat and feed it into that, then it can help tap into its knowledge and make some decisions for you. So uh, an example of that will be chatbots who can field basic questions, know when it gets too complex, and then send a conversation to the right human being to deal with. Absolutely. I think that's a great use case is that es knowing when to escalate to a human. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that improves customer experience, right? Because if that's done seamlessly and, and quickly, in other words, as soon as you recognize there's you know, some degree of frustration or, um, you know, uh, anxiety uh, on the call or right. in the, in the um, customer experience, that's the point where, you know, that, that escalation should kick in. Yeah. Um, and my, the data store is by no means over. I wanted to touch on the so-called Internet of Things. What we're clearly going to see over the next few years is more and more data being harvested from all kinds of devices that are, that are around. It's not just the phone in our pocket, but from all lots of things we interact with. Is that going to have significance for marketing, or is it is it just more data which is not necessarily useful to people? Um, I think it has uh, tremendous significance uh, because I think that the it's it's a lot of those Internet of Things devices are um, tracking some form of behavior, right. and uh, as marketers, we're very interested in behavior, right? I mean, I think one of the things that going back to the question of what's changed really since I started in this business is. Um, marketing was originally about surveys and panels and yeah. you know things like that right and and then it turned into when you had that direct connection to a consumer and what they were doing their purchase activity um, and the internet of things it can be things like their you know literally their biometric activity right um, and that now is not just modeled or that is not a guess mm -hmm. or that is not them telling you what they're stated preferences in a survey, it's the real data coming in. So that as a marketer, I think as a direct marketer, is what you're always interested in. So I think those those play a role. I think what's tough for marketers is that back to that amount of data yeah. that they've got to sift through from that. And that's again where we need good technology to filter it, to find the you know the pattern that really is of interest that you're looking for in that massive amount of streaming data. Uh, and then to be able to feed that into a decision-making system. 
and just to touch on something else which strikes me as a huge challenge, and that's that's the content side of this, because you've got all this data, you're getting better and better at interpreting it and developing insights, but then at the end of the day, if you want to send a message coming out of that, you have to have some content, and the amount of content out there is already huge, people's patience is stretched. I mean, are there going to be automated solutions to, to the content challenge? There, are, there will be more. I think it's the last uh, bastion, if you will, because it's the toughest one. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the image recognition. That's not easy to get good use cases and, and to be able to practically apply that technology. I think the same is true of some of the things we're seeing with natural language generation, um, you know, being able to layer content so that you can automatically generate personalized content in an image. Right. Um, but that's not real easy and straightforward to do. And then I think the other thing is the, there's always the, um, the ability to actually make that personalization relevant. So it doesn't matter if you can come up with a million different variations of something. If that isn't really helping you, you know, necessarily be more relevant to that person uh, or to get them attracted to that and then responding to it, then it's not really a value, and that's back to the where we as marketers have to, you know, be able to take this technology and then test where we're really getting lift from it. Mm -hmm. So, but I do think the content side is the emerging area now that we're going to see uh, more and more people try and trying to hyper personalize that content right. and technology helping with that content and personalization. The uh the challenges we're still working on. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think the combination, you know, back when, you know, what, when I learned sort of direct marketing 101, it was always about three things. It was about the targeting, it was about the offer, and that was really more about the economic offer, the mm -hmm. incentive that you were giving. And then it was about creative. It was about, you know, what, what, what did your direct mail piece look like? You know, was it a red envelope or a blue envelope? What, what did your, what, in today's terms, you know, how good is your video or how attractive is your banner? You know, did just get me to kind of pay attention to it. Right. And that's the art of marketing, right? But that part merging together, the, the, the direct marketing 101 is that each one plays about a third of a role in the response. And, you know, give or take, but that, that's remained pretty true. And so it, what that means is that we're underplaying a little bit the importance of that content piece right. in terms of being able to get more precise with it. And that really you put all those together and we're talking about the customer experience, their experience with the product, with the message, and with the brand. And that, that seems to be what everyone's focused on. These days. Absolutely, because that experience is, again, back to that personalization. And that personalization has to be from the eyes of the consumer. Yeah. It's not from the eyes of the brand. It doesn't matter what the brand thinks. It all is what how the customer sees that, how they react to it, and how much you allow them to personalize it, right? Because to me, that's the whole term. Personalization means you're allowing me, to some extent, to make my experience personal you know, to my own needs and preferences. And so the more marketers view it from that lens, I think the better, the, 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 the more they'll get, you know, um, aimed in the right direction around the technology and what it should be doing for them. Okay, great insights, Vince. Always a pleasure. Thank you for that overview. Oh, absolutely. Great to talk with you again and look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks, everyone. Look out for the next one-on-one. -on -one. Thanks for joining us.